0: Welcome to the Real Estate Diplomats, and I'm your host, Aaron Maslansky. Today, we're going to learn about Kodasema, which is a company that builds really cool, tiny homes, and they can also be used for many different applications. They're prefabricated, they're sustainable, they could be used around the world. And we're speaking with their CEO, Brigitte Leneme. This is somebody who is so impressive. She speaks 11 languages, she's from Estonia. And she has brought this product around the world. And she's got such a fascinating story. And it is a lesson in how you grow in an industry and connect with people and why it's important to understand how to speak with them in their accent, in their language, and how you grow in the middle of a pandemic. So you got a lot of lessons that you can take from this. I think it's going to be a great conversation. And if you want to connect with people who are like-minded and learn from each other, make sure to join our Facebook group. Search for The Real Estate Diplomat, and you can connect with people who are loving this show and learning just like you are. Before we start the show, let's talk about something you may be thinking about. Do you think about living and working remotely or about retiring to a distant paradise? Have you thought about buying real estate around the world? If so, did you know that I am a certified international property specialist and Resort and Second Home Specialist. I have access to an exceptional network of real estate professionals around the world that I can refer you to who will help you safely buy and sell global real estate. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, I can help you with your real estate needs directly as a realtor with Dreamtown Realty. Head over to realestatediplomat.com to schedule a free consultation so I can learn more about what you are looking for and direct you to your dreams. Now let's start the show. Brigitte, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here from across the world.
1: Well, thank you, Aaron. I think it's a a lovely invitation. I really treasure this invitation to be speaking here about the things that matter, not only to me, to us, but actually that matter for the whole world. Because ultimately the housing, the space that uh, surrounds us, it's so important. It's but it affects massively how we perform, how we feel about ourselves. And it's very, very important.
0: It is. I've made a profession out of that, <laughs> finding people housing. And, and my background with urban planning, just knowing how important it is, how it plays a role into our environment, society, and everything else. And, and I want to talk a lot about that with you today. But just, you know, we met because we were both part of a hybrid event from Select Chicago which is an organization that helps bring direct foreign direct investments into the Chicagoland area where I'm located. And you were presenting on, on your company, Kodasima, which produces these beautiful homes that are prefabricated. And you were talking about what's going on in Estonia, and then we followed up afterwards. And I just think it's such a an interesting example of the times that we're living in, where networking doesn't have to be at some you know, event where you're local, it could be across the globe, eight hours or more away.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think what has happened over the last two years now with the pandemic is that this is the innovation that the world, the speed of innovation that the world has never seen before, especially when we think about innovating Uh, life at workplace or life at schools. I think it's the greatest innovation in education that has been forced on us. And uh, probably if we speak about change management, then this is also a remarkable example how people have been very much receiving the the change. And uh, this is quite astonishing. It's a great example.
0: It is a great example. And and also, I mean, it's just, it's really forced everybody to be very, very innovative. And Going into people's houses now, I see everyone's got a ring light. Everyone's got different things you know, set up because they're working from home. They're doing their business from home. There's a real blurring of the lines. And, and now it's even shifting back where people are going back to offices. And it just keeps, keeps shifting. How do you grow a global business during this time?
1: How do we grow? Well, in a way, what has changed? So kind of what we face in industries, we face uh, automization and innovation and digitization. That's the one part of it. And then we have traditional industries that construction very much is. You know, construction hasn't innovated very much over the last 50 years. We still produce houses the way we used to build them, the way our forefathers used to build them. And at the center of it all is us humans. And I think what matters most is how us humans how we deal with the change, how we how we deal with how we navigate through the through the environment, through the stress, through the anxiety, through the changes, and, and, and how we feel about it. Now, uh, a little bit on on the micro level, or how do our we in our little world. Uh, hmm. expand across the globe, then obviously digitization is the only way. If you have restrictions to travel, then you go digital. You know, the Estonian government, uh, which is an e-pioneer anyway, uh, I think, you know, it was the first government that became a, not, a paperless government more than 10 years ago. It's unbelievable. And the Estonian government last year held the very first virtual a public sector that is led by the prime minister tour into the US but that was entirely virtual held in a studio here here wow. in Tallinn and that was just briefly after the Select Chicago conference when uh, when you and I came into connection so uh, it's digital um, opportunities and i think the way we interact has changed in a way that everything is uh, interdisciplinary it does yeah. we're we're not necessarily competing against each other as companies, but we've started, in my opinion, and and I'm a clear advocate about uh, talking about collaboration. I think people need to collaborate more rather than compete. I think governments need to collaborate more. I think public and private sector need to collaborate more. So it does come down to taking an advantage of the digital opportunities, but then connecting and connecting and, and relating to people, talking to people and uh, and creating an an impact and and painting the picture of what you're doing in digital channels. My daughter says, and she's 11, she says, well, you know, if you're making cakes out of sand and if you don't tell anyone um, that you're making them, then nobody's going to come and eat them. So, and that's kind of the same thing in, in business, like we're making the, um. Fabulous houses here in Estonia and our architects, they've done a massive job since uh, seven years ago. But if if we don't globalize, then very little, very few people get to experience their fine quality architecture. And and then there's very, very little use. And uh, it would be a shame if we don't uh, make high quality architecture and high quality buildings available to masses. It would be a shame.
0: Well, I think what's you talk about collaboration and in the housing industry, and most people think of it as a very local thing because when people see houses being built, it's on site, it's you know, it's not ideal conditions, but you're doing it in a factory where it's much more controlled and it's even it's more like building a car, building an airplane, where there's you have to collaborate with, you know, many different manufacturers and putting it together. And I think that's like a totally different perspective for housing that is important for us to, to look into. But, you know, how did you get into this line of work? I mean, what inspired you to get into design and construction?
1: Well, I started my career at the age of uh, six in sports, and I quickly worked <laughs> myself up to first uh, to world-class uh, ballroom dancer. Uh, being in the semifinals and uh, competitive uh, ballroom is a sport requiring a ring a multitude of skills. And in addition to that, obviously, it also requires language skills because so it's the choreography and the body language, but also the international skills. Because uh, as a small country, Estonia, with one point three million people, you have to advance on the global scale. So you have to be understanding what's what's happening elsewhere. In the world and, and obviously dealing with discomfort in order to become better. That has been my main motivation and to become better and, and build character, you know, the mental and emotional and physical uh, benefits of competitive dancing are definitely uh, the things that have defined me. But then coming from this background, um, I've always believed in working hard and really working hard and studying and striving. So I at the age of 19 went to Germany work for a global conglomerate in uh, in really hardcore industry and that was quite a difficult time for me at the age of 19 you know coming from a post soviet uh, country, making uh, my way through uh, German enterprise culture, that was the perfect bad experience that you could make. And what and I was bad about it? It was very, very difficult. Uh, simply put, to be taken seriously because in uh, former Eastern Germany, a number of people had lost jobs, and the German view was kind of that: "Don't come and take the jobs for us." So, um, but sounds I also... like
0: hasn't changed much. I mean, at least. <laughs> An American perspective.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but then oh, it was a Singaporean conglomerate that operates in in about I don't know ten or more countries, and uh, and we had taken over a factory, so I was integrating the company. Uh, we were just a, a handful of expatriates in addition to the four hundred employees in the in the plant, and uh, and and in that sense, it was the perfect experience because. I've been hardworking uh, since the very beginning and, and that gave me massive experience in industry and the German experience. And Germany has a lot of timber timber uh, woodworking uh, industry, factories, uh, sawmills, planing mills. So, and that, that led me on to university in Italy, which gave me again, uh, one of the 11 languages that I speak and then having returned... 11 languages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nothing. I mean, 11 languages must give you amazing skills to connect with people wherever you're going, I mean, and, and doing global business. But take a step back for a second. You, you talk about that was a hard experience. I mean, being 19, you're dealing with that, integrating everything, and you're a woman in post-Cold post War Germany. I mean, did people take you seriously, and how did you get them to, to listen to what you're trying to implement?
1: I thought that was the only way to be taken seriously was through professionalism and professionalism number one in accent-free German, adopting the culture, adopting the language, as well as just being so good in what I did. And that was the key. And in in a way that proved to be successful as well, not only in Germany, but ever since. I mean, marketing Estonia globally uh, and the global arena, and you know, Estonia is the largest European timber house exporter. We're a tiny little country with 1.3 million people, which is just what a quarter of Manhattan or or, or how much? Less, (laughs) less. (laughs) One-fifth of Manhattan probably. So, uh, And that has been successful. I mean, I've been on that path, marketing the country as well as the businesses in this country, because they deserve to be on the global scale. There There are so many competences and Uh, in Estonia, woodworking, other industries, digital skills. We're really at the forefront globally uh, when it comes to digital skills. So yes, I think, uh, but then uh, there's one thing I want to mention. And uh, when it comes to comparing the masculine and and feminine parts uh, of the world, then I'm a strong believer that we shouldn't be bringing out the differences, but I think we should be uh, bringing out and finding the commonalities. Because in the end, every woman has a masculine behavior to them as well. And every man has a feminine part of them as well. So it's very interesting for me to be observing how, for example, in business negotiations, in which situation men actually behave in a feminine way. And I don't mean that in in a negative sense, but moments of being undecisive or undecided are are kind of softer and, and I, I really treasure seeing the dynamics between diverse uh, members of the team. So yeah. so speaking and you better of the
0: understand. Dif-
1: yeah. So so speaking of the differences, uh, it, it does really come down to the enriching aspect of the differences. And it, this has been scientifically proven several times that diverse teams Get better results simply because people have different angles. But um, industry obviously is very very masculine, and uh, I'm mostly the only woman at the in the boardroom. <laughs> I think today most companies uh, that I visit uh, for meetings they usually have a bathroom for for women, but uh, <laughs> you know,
0: usually,
1: <laughs> <laughs> usually, yeah. But I've visited sawmills in Russia where they haven't had bathrooms for women, so. I think we're getting there. I think everything is possible, and it really does come down in the cultures and in the religions, which are typical to the Western world, so to say. I'm not going into politics, geopolitics, like in Afghanistan. That's a totally different setting. But in the Western world, I think uh, many things are possible for for everyone who who wants to be hardworking.
0: Yeah. Do you think you have a competitive advantage because you have that different viewpoint than maybe some of the typical leaders of business and global business? And then obviously with your language skills.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, i my making my language skills a totally playful situation, I think. I think (laughs) it's just fascinating to be greeting people who come in through our door in their own language. And if it happens to be accent free, then They're just so delighted that, wow, I'm being understood. That has been my main motivation, why to learn the languages, to understand people better. Because when I speak in a foreign language, then I know up to what extent I grasp the meaning or I can express myself. But it's very hard to be understanding or knowing what the language knowledge of another person is, how freely actually he or she can express uh, themselves. So therefore I've always been motivated by the opportunity of giving other people the chance to speak in their mother tongue and uh, and taking the challenge then of being the the one who speaks in the foreign language, which sometimes is obviously more complicated because if you're taking speaking legal terms or sometimes, you know, Italian language electrodes for a welding machine, I mean it's still the language is quite quite different.
0: Yeah. No, but that that is interesting and it's your understanding of things that I'm sure translates into how you design and develop housing for the whole world. I mean, because housing means different things for different people around the world. A house in suburban, you know, America might be a three to four thousand square foot house, needing a garage and whatnot. A home for somebody who doesn't have a home has a totally different meaning. It could just be a roof over their head. So How do you uh, take that and address the needs of humanity?
1: Yes, so when we started Kodosema, we believed that we are making a minimum viable space. You know, in engineering, they talk about minimum viable product of being the test version of something uh, which is about to be developed in uh, more deeply. But we believed in when creating this universal space, this can be the tool, perhaps, for creating uh, a space for all the different purposes, all the different functions, be it then the very first shelter for the people who don't have a home, or or be it then a high-end hotel room. So what we're saying is that the Kodai, you know, like... It is so much more difficult to be writing a short story rather than a long one. If this podcast was just 10 minutes, it would be much more difficult to put it together. Yes. So, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, and the same applies to architecture. It's, it's much more difficult to be designing a house which is less than 350 square feet. It's much more difficult than be making a like a like a true uh, one-family home, and I think we've succeeded in that very well because we've adopted high-tech design. And interesting, it's an architectural movement, high-tech design, and it has not nothing particularly to, to be uh, to do with technology as such. So high-tech design being being simplistic, being uh, purified, being Definitely with uh, square angles and uh, with modern materials, and you know, like like the light-colored timber that we use, also uh, LED lighting. So, so this high-tech design tends to tends to speak for so many different functions, if not most of the world's functions, and that's what we've experienced over the last seven years.
0: So you've been around for seven years. And for the audience, how would you describe the look of these homes?
1: They look square. And they have a, a very large uh, front uh, window section. So when, when looking at the codas, the front is, is only glass, uh, which is divided by a sunshade, uh, separating the upper glass from the lower glass. And and otherwise, it's a cube-shaped architecture, which is very very neutral.
0: Can you and I'll have uh, links to uh, to the images and to your website, so if people want to go and see it, you'll get a very good visual representation of what these beautiful homes look like. But um, so they're these cubes, and they're they're 350 square feet or smaller. Can you? attach them and make them larger if you want to use them as components or can they only be used as homes what what's the the thought behind that
1: so our thought behind it was that the, the the coders are multifunctional they can be used from anything ranging from living to working through shopping you know dentist COVID testing clinic flower shop hairdressers meeting room hotel room anything more or less that you could think of. We could probably even make, design a specific hospital room if needed, even though that would need some, some engineering. But the idea behind it is that uh, the house need not be attached to the ground and to the property. So there is freedom freedom of movement and there is freedom of designing the cities the way people need the cities to be designed. So, for example, we can quite quickly adopt former industrial brownfield areas to become used as residential. We don't need to wait for very long planning processes in municipal governments to go through, but also we don't need to wait for the economic cycle to make sense for the property developer to go ahead with their high rise building. They can take a meanwhile uh, infill use of, of their property for, say, five years or seven years or 10 years. And then when the economic cycle changes or when the demographic uh, environment changes, they can, they can then take the coders elsewhere where they are needed more and, and start building their high rise then. So what we say is that the coders are movable. But they can be permanent or temporary, depending on what the property developer needs, what the local government needs, and what the human needs are. So we also say that the schools, for example, from year to year, the number of children enrolling in schools may de- may vary. Usually, it does vary because it's a mere yeah. In some periods, we have more children born, and other periods less. It depends on you know economic growth of the economy and many other things. So what we've done here as well in Europe is we've added classrooms when, when they're needed and then in, in other years or cycles when they're not needed, we can take them away and put them elsewhere, maybe for kindergartens then or maybe for, for offices or, or homes or, or shops or whatever is needed there where it is needed. So So cities need to start changing, they need to start becoming more dynamic. To, to grow with the people and the services, space as a service it's needs needs to start being offered to people as they need it. Just like the other service economies have changed, we can we can order so many things according to our needs, according to our specifications. But somehow, housing remains very rigid. And True. What's happening in Europe and and when I look at the statistics in the U.S., I see a similar pattern that uh, the housing units which are available on the market there. They're much bigger than the average household is. So not everybody needs to be living in a two or three bedroom apartment. Uh, we have now in large cities here in Europe, over half of the households are one person households. So we need to be supporting the developers and, uh, and from the public sector so that the one person households can pop up as quickly as, as one person households urbanize into the cities. But that's the that's the mismatch that that we currently live with here in Europe and in, in many American cities as well. You
0: know, one thing that I've noticed over the course of my career, especially over the past year and a half, is just uh, how well here in America. I think people want more space, and they want because of the pandemic has kept them inside. So what one interesting thing with the codos is that they could be anywhere. You could be in a more rural space. You could potentially ship it and take it with you, and also. People who are in one-person households typically have to, if they're going to rent an apartment, they're very expensive in the city centers. They keep getting more and more expensive, and, they, and people may not want to live there because they could work remotely. Things have greatly transformed. And even in suburban areas, a lot of houses were built in the 1950s, 1960s, and, or even the 70s and 80s, and they're getting older, and they don't... Some of them are in good condition, but some of them have a lot of deferred maintenance. And that's not necessarily the best thing to, to be living in a house with a lot of old galvanized piping or, you know, lead service lines coming into your house. I mean, that, that's a big deal to, you know, change the environment. So with the CODA homes, I mean, they come pre-engineered, pre-wired, pre-plumbed, everything else. And can they be upgraded as time goes on as well?
1: Yeah. So the CODA the house is a volumetrical Turnkey building, which is delivered to the site and then it is unwrapped from the plastic which protects it for transport and then it is connected to the services of good, of course the ground needs to be prepared a little bit, but in many cases a massive foundation with concrete is not needed, which is also very sustainable. but you asked about upgrade so in terms of equipment, uh, we have pre-selected standard and premium equipments. And we have pre-selected equipment for hotel use or for living. Now, sustainability as such is, is uh, one of our founding principles. And uh, uh, when we started building up the company, our founder, Hannes Tamir, he that's his famous sentence that uh, by living small, we automatically consume less energy and we consume less in general. Right. So, if we need to store things, we we might as well rent a storage rather than have a big home. So, in terms of upgrade and in terms of sustainability, the the timber structure, which has been at the core of, of the Koda since our turnaround in uh, three years ago, that is very sustainable. And and now, what happens with that with the house is it's it's good to go for more or less fifty years, maybe more. Probably nothing happens to the structure also for a hundred years. What needs to be upgraded is probably the equipment which is in the house, you know, the faucets, showerheads, uh some of the technical equipment. But because it is so minimalistic, there is not not a whole lot of automization in it. And and our wiring and plumbing today is made of so high quality that it lasts for, for decades. Yeah. The other day, I had a dad in business school visiting us from uh, Virginia, uh, University of Virginia, and I was asking from the students like, how many people live in or in a newer house, and how many people live in older house. And I was surprised to experience that I think two percent of them live in houses which are several hundred years old. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and I was also surprised to experience that a third. Of the students, they said they live in a one-bedroom apartment, and then there was there was kind of nothing in between the two and three and four bed. There was very minimal, just a couple of people, and then the, the the other extreme was was that they live in the full house. But uh, uh, that was interest interesting statistics.
0: It is. I mean, the coda homes I think could be useful for college dormitories as well. There's a lot of potential use for it. But you talk about sustainability and how this is one of your goals. I mean, the United Nations has several things that we need to do in order to make the world a more sustainable place, the sustainability goals. So by living smaller and having less waste when you're producing these homes and whatnot, I mean, do you think that this can become a global phenomenon? Are you seeing other people be inspired to do something else? Or are you able to to grow your business in other countries. Like, so, for instance, in the United States, can you order one of the Kodas?
1: Oh, yes. So we're quite happy that Kodasema has had the joint venture in New York, Delaware, with the production base out of Brooklyn, New York, since uh, 2020, early 2020. So it's almost two years now. And uh, we're right now even restructuring and accelerating, and one can order a CUDA Loft as well as a CUDA Loft Extended, which is the one bedroom unit. Uh, and the delivery time is about four to five months. Uh, so we're shipping out of our manufacturing in Brooklyn, New York, but we also have manufacturing capability in Portland, Oregon, and quite soon in uh, Pennsylvania as well. So. And again, I'm coming back to the collaboration. It's very, very important to be working together with partners because a startup company as Sema is alone, we won't be able to impact the world with millions of houses without working together. So, uh, so that's what we're trying to do in, in the U.S. was rolling out now for 2022, quite at large.
0: How expensive are they? What's the cost in U.S. dollar?
1: Uh, If I remember correctly, uh, the cost of the Coda Loft is $145,000 ex-factory. And the Coda Loft extended, I think the latest price was $165,000. But the raw material prices for timber have changed once in two weeks over the last 12 months, so uh, I think that's the latest pricing, but the pricing can be downloaded from kudasema.com website. There is an automatic uh, price list uh, sending mechanism on our website, and we usually try to respond within 24 hours to the inquiries as well. That's our US team and the team in Europe. So so uh, when the listeners are interested, we're, do send us an inquiry at sales at kudasema.com.
0: Okay. So... It's, it's about that amount, but you have to have land. And how hard is it in terms of getting the, uh, them approved? Uh, do building departments allow them, or do they have to do an inspection of the production facility? How does that work?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, in the United States, the CODA technical solution has been designed according to ADU, Accessory Dwelling Unit, law or registration and we have adjusted our our stairs, our mezzanine, our borders to to match the code. Uh, People need to get the set of drawings from us and then they need to apply at their local government uh, to receive a building license. Uh, When I read statistics about the application of ADU units uh, in the states where ADU units uh, law has now been adopted. And, and the number of states is growing. I think it's more than 25 probably now, or maybe it's already has uh, surpassed 30.
0: It's based on the local governments in many cases. Actually, I have a, another podcast I do that's very, very local. And I had an organization in Evanston, Illinois, uh, that is building ADUs in here. So I think that's, that could be interesting for them maybe to collaborate with you. Uh, But there's a big movement to get ADUs approved because it provides affordable housing, provides more options for homeowners to create, generate more income for their housing and make life more affordable.
1: Yes, and I understand the procedure of getting an ADU unit confirmed is much more quick than going as per the traditional residential code. So... We believe that more and more states will be adopting the ADU code. However, um, our CUDA uh, loft extended also correspond, which is the larger one bedroom unit. And it seems to me it is, it is the bigger hit in the US because people still prefer the, it's 51 square meters. We would need to do quick conversion. That is, uh, that's uh, <laughs> <it's> about <laughs> 700 square feet, I think. Okay. So uh, that is also matches the New York residential code, if I'm correct.
0: And then in terms of material, you also have a concrete version or is it just timber?
1: Yes, that's, that's very interesting. We actually started off with Coda concrete, but now sustainability being at the very core of our operations. We changed uh, three years after starting the company, we changed to timber frame in Europe. But we do offer a cementitious concrete facade in the U.S., and in the U.S., the the structure actually right now has magnesium oxide uh, sandwich insulation panels, which is uh, also a very sustainable way of of building houses. And uh, and we are certainly exploring technologies of concrete and its uh, developments, its research uh, that are more sustainable. So concrete, I understand as a material. People are used to concrete in a way. Yes. Then there are then there are other countries that are more used to timber. But I think many people like the the cementitious facade. So we are definitely working on a solution of of a con- more sustainable concrete solution for the Koda, and and it's quite likely we will be able to offer it as early as in 2022.
0: I think it's important to have different material uses because, you know, you think about the what's been going on in the world with supply chain issues and just you don't know where you're going to be able to get things from or geopolitics get involved or a ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal. (laughs) I mean, how has that been to navigate these waters uh, with the supply chain issues for a global company? Yeah, so
1: that's a little bit of the navigation in change management that we started our podcast with, it all comes down to the humans, how, who manage the change and who find then the creative solutions uh, to, to mitigate the risks and to overcome the hurdle. But I think from a business model point of view, for semi, it has been essential that we have the ability to license the production of coders out to different companies with different technologies. That being moving from the code of concrete initially in Europe, then to the timber frame coder, then to the magnesium oxide panels, and then to potentially some other technologies. And uh but at the same time, we always keep the architecture. So you're you're unable to tell what's inside by the look of it. And I think what matters to people is is the look and feel of the user experience. So so we kind of deliver the user experience and uh What has happened in Europe, yes, prices have gone up, we've been affected by Suez, we've been affected by the pandemic, even once we were expecting our electrical components to come in from Ireland, and instead we received a parcel of uh, vaccines, so... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that, I mean, that that's was, not bad, but...
1: <laughs> but we didn't check it out what vaccines they were, so we still reacted quite quickly. But unfortunately, the delivery of our house was then delayed by about a week. And I mean, these things happen even with the largest and most known uh, uh, Korea companies. And we've all been affected, but I think in a way the people are, are, are stressed. Are quite anxious about the, the the pandemic, or now the kind of the. I think we're still moving towards the end of the pandemic, but we're still humans, and communication is is a great tool to uh, to smooth things and to find uh, alternative solutions, whether with manufacturers, transport companies, or with materials. The truth is obviously also that this engineering is expensive and it does cost a lot of time to be engineering the same user experience, the same code with the same architecture, but using different technology. It does take several, several months.
0: Well, I think it's, it's good that you have those options. And, but man, it's, I applaud you for surviving and thriving in this type of environment because it's, every day is something changing. I mean, even today, I was just reading an article about how United Airlines, they decided to stop trying to predict what the next thing is going to be in the pandemic and what demand is going to be like. And they're just like, all right, we're just going to do it one way <laughs> and see what happens. But you constantly have to be adapting. And I think one really interesting thing that I think is a cool concept with CODA, and you know, maybe this is an inspiration for people who are listening, and I want to leave people with this, but digital nomads can live around the world. And You could travel, you could do your work. And I think it's been something that has really expanded in people's minds over the past year and a half, for sure. But people have been doing it before. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to take your house with you (laughs) to where you're going? Is that something that's possible with Kodosema?
1: So, Aaron, that's kind of a two-way sword or (laughs) two-way arrow. (laughs) Okay. And I know digital nomads are really our group of people who, who live in one location and then they are free. And I think freedom is something that describes our era in general and in a much broader scale. Taking the house with you clearly from a sustainability point of view is is not the way to go. That's true. <laughs> Unless, of course, it is it is from an urban redesign point of view. If we're making the cities or oh, also, uh, countryside's more livable and lovable. Then we want to be designing the cities from place making and and space planning uh, point of view, so that they match the generation's expectations. But what we actually expect the digital nomads to experience is the codas, which are already present in different countries. So they already have kind of a quality assurance. It's like you know a Hilton hotel. You you know everywhere what a Hilton hotel is. So if If it's a CUDA park or a Kuda stay hotel in in different cities, whether in new york paris or or london then then ideally it's the same and uh it's the it corresponds to the same affordability to this to the same quality user experience and uh, probably also price point
0: yeah and it's again it's changing housing to a service and it's something to expect and it's your brand and and people. Uh, could go there and enjoy it. One thing that I wanna do, which I'm so excited just doing this and talking to people from around the world like yourself, is I wanna see some of these places that that I'm talking to people and, you know, if if somebody were to travel to Estonia, what should they know? What are some good things to know and if, and if they want to buy real estate there, where's a good place to buy, do you think?
1: Well, I think in Estonia in general it is very much worth visiting. And we've just uh, had a, a lady, a colleague visiting us. She's a former Google software developer and she has purchased, quit, quit Google. She's a ma- highly talented mathematician, a PhD in, in math, but she just uh, called in a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, here I am. I've purchased a land near the Death Valley and I want to buy a Coda. And, and she was fascinated by by the simplicity of our country, Estonia being the, the digital pioneer. Um, it's unbe- unbelievable. We can pay by our mobile phones. I already mentioned the paperless government. We also have electronic elections. Everything is so simple here. Um, we, we're famous by our Digital healthcare, digital prescriptions, digital medical reports that, that are accessible across the doctors uh, across the country. And we're in full control. We can access our digital reports and see what's happening. And, and, and in that sense, as uh, a wonderful country to collect inspiration. And on the other hand, we are very much true to the nature, like 50% or more of the country's territory is still covered with forest. Estonians still go into the forest to pick mushrooms and to pick berries.
0: Hmm.
1: We have here at our factory site, we have deer and rabbits, and and we're literally 15 minutes from the very, very heart, from the site of the government. So it's an amazing, this untouched nature part of this country. Uh, James Samuel York, who's who's a dear advocate of uh, Estonian foreign investment, in the U.S. and vice versa. He dearly, he he being an American, he dearly always talks about the the value of of Estonia from an American point of view. Uh,
0: It's it's quite amazing. I mean, to think about, it's like you're a futuristic country in a way. You're a post-Cold War, independent former Soviet state. And like, it's just amazing the types of things that you're doing. And I hope that what you're doing at Kodosema inspires people to think about housing in a sustainable manner and it grows and, and helps to sustain us as a society and as an environment. So I, I, I appreciate, again, I applaud what you're doing. I appreciate you coming on to The Real Estate Diplomat and talking about everything today and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Aaron. And, and perhaps the, the one thing that uh, to summarize or to kind of closing remark be uh, added here is that whoever has felt now inspired by this talk, then uh, we very much welcome contact from real estate developers, landowners in the US or across entire North America or even Latin America. So uh, do get in touch. And I didn't answer your question regarding what what would be the right area where to invest in in Estonia. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but just by coming back to that, there are, there are plenty of opportunities. And, you know, Estonia has the highest number of unicorns per capita. Companies like Skype, like TransferWise, uh, Bolt, there are the Pipedrive. There are, there are so many marvelous companies and there is a, there is a wonderful website, perhaps we can put a link.
0: Yes. What's the website? For the
1: listeners. I'll send it to you after our podcast. Okay. It's very, very inspirational to be seeing the stories of, uh, of unicorns, Estonian unicorns across the world.
0: Yeah, and your company is one of them. And and to learn more about Hopefully. Kodasema, yes, uh, <laughs> go to kodasema.com. That's K-O-D-A-S-E-M-A dot com. And uh, no, this this is so great. I hope it inspired a lot of people today.
1: Thank you so much, Aaron.
0: Thank you.